0: All right, we're back. Uh, This is the last time we'll be doing this segment called Crawling Back to the Light. It's our Easter finale. How did someone come back to God like, oh, I don't know, a certain Canadian radio host? Back in 2010, after seven years of hosting this show, I came out. Not that way. I admitted during an interview with Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias that I was no longer convinced there's a God, mostly because after 30 years of having a, quote, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I realized that this God I was serving wasn't actually all that personal at least in my estimation, so going public as a doubter, not an atheist, so just relax, because I don't get the certainty on either side, but going public as a doubter and no longer considering myself part of the evangelical tribe of certainty that I that I, I left, I, 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 I left, I just left it all, I left organized religion, I left the church, I left it up to God to reveal himself to me through one of those, quote, tangible encounters I kept hearing so many of my tribe speak about. I felt the Lord say this, the Lord, God did this, God said that, God showed up, God really showed up. That was a phrase that drove me bonkers. Boy, didn't God re- God really showed up in that service. <laughs> he was a heckler in the back. <laughs> he was the heckler, <laughs> like the old codgers from the Muppets. Uh, anyway, I left it up to God to, to show up through one of those tangible encounters I kept hearing so many of my tribes speak about. So, but here's what happened. 2017 was brutal. The worst year of my life. Numerous fractured relationships and it turned out, oh wait a second, I was the common denominator. So, I've decided that since my way didn't work, it's time to crawl back to the light. And I've decided to once again do this publicly, as embarrassing as it is to admit personal and spiritual failure, especially when you're on, you know, the big God station. Uh, My hope is that others experiencing similar frustrations might learn something from my conversations with a few people who have had a profound impact on my life. Look, I'm still not really sure that there's a God, but faith has gone from being a noun to a verb for me. And all I know is that my life seemed to go better when I thought there was a God. So maybe I should crawl back. That's Mm, where we're at. There we go. The final guest for our Easter finale, crawling back to the light segment, is the one and only Mr. Philip Yancey, best-selling author extraordinaire, (laughs) and he joins us from... I don't even know where you live. It's probably better that way. Uh, (laughs) No, I live in Colorado, and it's harder to disbelieve in God when you look out the window at where I live. Yeah, okay, so here we go. We're right into it. Isn't that just nature? People say, "Oh, I feel closer to God in nature." I get, the, like, I totally get the math on that, but is there not a possibility that it's just something beautiful? It's just sure, nature. There's
1: a possibility, sure, there's a possibility. Uh, but what what helps us decide what's beautiful and what's not? Where where do those positive feelings of beauty and goodness come from? You know, you hear a lot of talk about uh, the problem of pain. I've written whole books about it. But if you don't believe in God, there's also a problem of pleasure. Where did pleasure come from? Why are we here? You know, there are all these questions on both sides doubting doubts as well as doubting
0: faith. Doubting doubts, or somebody, there's a a famous quote about doubting doubts. I doubt it. I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. good. Yeah. Um, Okay, so, Philip, you've, you've heard my rattling on about. About the whole journey thing And, and, and where things are at and, and you're, you know Thank you for coming on I mean, I'm just a schmuck So for you to spend a bit of time with me To give me some, I don't know Advice, a little direction As uh, as to my whole crawling back thing I really appreciate it So, what do you, what did, what do you say to me, man? As far as crawling well, back I would, say,
1: I would say first
0: that uh, <clears throat> I understand exactly what you're going through I wrote a whole book called Reaching for
1: the Invisible God And that expresses some of the the dilemma that we are in when we're raised in that evangelical uh, fuzzy-wuzzy environment and that kind of spiritual talk, you know, God told me this, God told me that, mm. a lot of it is it's just oversell. I, I try to keep the Hubble telescope view of God, which is it's a big universe out here. And um, if you're expecting God to come around and and choose a parking place for you and make sure your girlfriend likes you, you know, those kind of things, that's, God really has more going on than that. And, and furthermore, God has entrusted us with with an incredible amount of freedom. That's the one thing I most appreciate about God. Um, sometimes when I'm speaking in a, in a college setting, particularly with a bunch of skeptics, I say, I challenge you to find a single argument against God in the great atheists, either the classics like Voltaire or Bertrand Russell or the mm-hmm. modern ones like Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins, I challenge you to find a single argument that they use that's not already included in the Bible. And, you know, go to Job, go to Lamentations, go to Psalms, and I, I haven't found one of their arguments that's not already there. And I, frankly, I respect a God who not only gives us the freedom to doubt, to reject, but also the freedom, that, but also actually provides the words for us in what we consider sacred scripture.
0: Hmm. Since you... Uh, you know well, hold on the the presupposition is that you went through one great period of darkness and then you passed through it and then you wrote a book about it. Have you ever gone back to that sort of darkness? Has the darkness encroached on you again?
1: I know one of your one of your uh, interview subjects in the series was Richard Rohrer, correct? Yes, yes. And and he probably talked about this because he often does the the st- stages of order, disorder, reorder. Did he talk through that? On the, on
0: oh, there? I don't think so. No, I probably yep. hijacked the conversation uh, in, okay. into, into yep. immature and silly things.
1: <laughs> well, he
0: he often
1: says, and I find this very helpful, that uh, the normal process of intellectual maturity is order. So you're raised with people telling you this is what you should believe, this is the way the world works. And then you go through a period of disorder where you throw it all off and you question it all. And then later in age, it often but not always, later you come to a period of reorder where you take some of those things that you learned early on and realize that you can't just live with a di- disorder. So you come up with a new synthesis of, of what you've gone through and i would say in my own life to answer your question i did go through that exact stage of huge order <laughs> and, you know fundamentalist uh, legalistic christianity and the evangelicalism that you talk about and then a period of disorder which was a complete rejection and then a period of reorder yes i did go through those stages but i go through those stages all the time and, to a lesser degree i i guess i i haven't doubted the existence of god in some time but i do struggle with that why if there are any miracles why are they so capricious you know why why does this person supposedly get healed but a thousand yeah. other people don't you yeah. know yeah. i mean we we don't know answers to those questions and and that that feeling of um wanting god to be present whatever that means i you know i think a lot of it is um I remember reading a book by by Henry Nowen, uh, who lived not too far away from you. Yeah. Who said uh, what we need to do is is leave that feeling of opacity and find transparency. You mentioned nature early. I mean, if you think of God as way up in the skies there, and uh, then every once in a while He reaches down and and interferes with Earth. You know, that's that's kind of the vision of God that many of us grow up with. He said, actually, no, God is all around us, and our our challenge really is to be tra- is to see the transparency, to see the beauty, the worship, the glory, the awe in nature, for example, to see that in human beings, not just the famous celebrity human beings, but as Jesus said, the least of these my brothers uh, you know look look at me in those people, that's where you find me and in Harry Allen's case, he found that in in the poverty, the slums of south america and and then God. God's self, uh, instead of, you know, instead of separating everything, God is up there, I'm down here, nature's over there, but realize God is at the heart of all of that, and the the heart of the universe is God, and that heart, it took me years to discover, is a smile, not a frown. the The, the bottom line is not karma, it's grace, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing that I'm not judged by Karma and behavior and all that. I'm judged by grace and forgiveness and love.
0: I, I truly believe that's the heart of the universe. Has Philip Yancey ever had a tangible encounter with God? I am in the process
1: of writing a memoir, and the answer is yes. It was a conversion experience. And it, unless you've had one, they, they seem weird, they seem hard to understand, probably impossible to understand. Um, there are two of two. People in my family. Uh, uh, my father died early. My mother was there, and then there were two of us brothers. And my brother, who was two years older, tried everything you can try. Uh, you talked about the asthmatic charismatics. He went through that. He went through atheistic existentialism. He went through drugs. He went through high church Catholic Anglican. You know, he tried it all, and he was on a on a pell mell. Uh, manic search for God and never found God, finally gave it up, and didn't go to another church for some 40 years, and still doesn't, really. He goes to a church that he calls an atheist church. It's actually a humanist church. They don't believe in God, but they want to create a community like church. Sure. It's like like Mark Campolo. Go ahead. Yes, right, exactly. On the other hand, um, I was kind of the cynic. I, I saw him flopping around like a fish, thinking uh, he's never going to find it. And I was in a Bible college of all places, uh, uh, taking great joy in pointing out the hypocrisies and the inconsistencies of my fellow students and the ignorance (laughs) of my professors. And and I had a completely unexpected, uh, gobsmacking, life-changing conversion experience that I wasn't seeking and didn't really want but my life uh, changed from that moment on. That's not true of everybody. Obviously, the woman I married never went through one of those. She was raised by missionaries' parents and um, has never really had that kind of deep existential doubt. I did, and I I just have to say uh, it, it, it was a phenomenal, unexplainable, unpredictable experience, yes. But I only only had, hold on. I only had one and then a couple little feather touches along the way. That's it.
0: I, I'm sorry. did Tim, did I have a nap? Did he explain what the experience was? Or are you intentionally glazing over the experience?
1: <laughs> He's writing a memoir. He's oh, saving yeah. it for later. He's it. It's I, a book for the book. Memoir, but, I, you know, if you're interested, I'll tell you. Um, we had this thing at this college called Christian Service. And you would either go to... Uh, um, an asylum for the mentally ill and sing your little choir deal, or uh, go to prison. You know, that will help actually... the mentally ill,
0: the choir yeah, showing right.
1: up. <laughs> I was actually on a chain gang route at one time where we went and preached to these uh, prisoners sitting there in, in a ball and chain in their black and white striped. No. I did, yes. Was George Clooney uh, one of them? This college <laughs> kid, uh, you know, with an accordion, uh, trying to tell these, these prisoners how to obey the Ten Commandments or whatever. So anyway, this was not working for me, and so I I signed up for another Christian service assignment, which was uh, university work. And we were supposed to go to the university, a nearby university, and witness to people. Well, you know, I tried that about one time, and it was so humiliating. I said, I'm just going to sit in the student center and watch uh, watch television, because there weren't any televisions on this Bible college campus. And so I did, every Saturday night, and then I'd come home and uh, make up some story about my witnessing <laughs> adventures, you know. And <laughs> you got to do that to graduate from this school. <laughs> so that's the kind of person I was. I was a complete skeptic. And then uh, another night we would have a prayer meeting where we would sit <clears throat> around and pray about our experiences. So there mm-hmm. were four of us, as I recall, and three people would pray, and then there'd be about a 20-second pause And I never prayed, and then they'd say, okay, uh, see see you Saturday night. And this went on all semester. Well, once um, I actually started praying, and you could cut the tension in that room, people couldn't believe it, and the prayer went like this, God, I don't even know if you're listening or if you exist. We're supposed to care about those people at this university. I don't care if they all go to hell. (laughs) In fact, I don't even care if I go to hell. You'd have to be in a Bible college environment. You probably do understand, Drew, <laughs> how they reacted. And then I, I, had a, I had a vision. I've got to say, I had a, an actual vision. It was a visible thing. I started praying aloud. It was more a verbal vision. I'm a writer, you know. Yeah. But I, I started praying about the parable of the Good Samaritan, and I said, you know, we're supposed to, supposed to feel like the Good Samaritan. We see these people. And perceiving them as, as if they're hijacked by a robber and left bleeding in the ditch. I don't care about these people. And and I had a, I had a twist. This was a vision. Suddenly I saw that I was actually the one in the ditch. That for all my snotty-nosed uh, arrogance, yeah. making fun of other people, thinking I was superior and all that, I was the neediest one of all. And every time, and I saw Jesus uh, in the figure of the Good Samaritan, every time Jesus reached down, I would spit in his face, and he would keep reaching down. It was just such a stunning thing that came out of nowhere. I mean, I had, I had not prayed once during that entire semester. It just really rattled me, and I sat down and wrote a, a note to my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and said, um, I may have had the, most, the first authentic religious experience of my life. And that's after going forward to an altar call thirty-nine times. Or something. <laughs> I, I gave the testimonies. I knew how I knew how that worked. I, I was I was raised with that little script. Yeah. But this was not part <clears throat> of the script. It came from from somewhere else. And it was the first thing that had happened that I had not been in control of. That I had not manipulated in Gee, some way. It is. Man. And you know, it's not a it's not a script for anybody else. But no, it, no, but it, that's it happened that, to me, and I've made my living as a Christian writer, probably because of that event.
0: Right. And and this is the thing that I have picked up along the way is that <clears throat> look, I have asked so many different people about their if they've ever had a tangible encounter with God. Normal yeah. people, street people, religious people, of philosophers, atheists. I mean, everybody, the whole thing. And every time I hear a story, every stinking time I hear a story. I'm listening there with a hole poker in my hand, mm-hmm. and I just continuously poke holes in the story. And inevitably, what you know, if I let them know that, well, that could have been this, or it could have been that, or maybe it was there, explanation here, explanation there, and I could see the look on the other person's face, and basically what they're saying is, well, that was my experience. And so your experience was your experiences, uh, experience. All these other people, they've had their own experience. I've had no experience. Yeah, but what I do know now, Philip, is that I can't, I can't keep going through life just carrying a big poker with me. Yeah, hmm. and I,
1: uh, you know, I look at my brother because he did try, and uh, I live with him. I know he tried for a lot harder than I ever tried. Tried to what? And find it tr- he tried to break <clears throat> God. He tr- and he believes now he was somehow. Um, formally rejected by god there's no way that he and god can have a relationship so he gave up and and hasn't pursued that for at least 40 years and i you know that's the mystery uh almost makes you a calvinist <laughs> yeah well that's okay
0: hold on you just dude that's what my that's where my brain goes with this stuff It's like you know this why why is it such an uphill battle and it seems absolutely inachievable unachievable for uh, for this person and somebody else is basking in the glory of the lord and and it's lifelong stuff it's not temperamental kumbaya friday night emotional manipulation at christian camp moments you know well
1: again i i, I mentioned i take the hubble telescope view of god and i i've made my living as a journalist so i've i've heard a lot of these stories myself i've written a lot of them of other people and they're they're all over the map. And uh, well, I was on a radio interview one time uh, with a completely bored person who who said, what am I going to do, interview some Christian today?
0: Oh, they didn't tell me that in my job description. It was a secular stage. So hold on, hold on. That voice you just used, was the interview back in the 30s? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I. it might have been with you, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> now, see here, kid. Uh, anyway, yes. But,
1: so, I had written a book called uh, What Good is God? Uh, you probably haven't read it, because not very many people have. <laughs> what good is a book, you know? And um, this guy said, you know, I don't have a lot of time, and I don't have much experience with these Christians, so just tell me in a couple sentences, what good is God? You know. And I, I, I hadn't really thought about that. I should have, before the interview, but I said, boy, I, I guess I'd answer that on, on three levels. There's one level in which There are a lot of individual people who have transforming, life-transforming relationships with God. Prostitutes, prisoners, and so you know, I'd be glad to tell you these stories. That's one individual, but there's also a community level that uh, the church, for all of its mistakes—and I write about those mistakes—really does rally around. And if you go through cancer, if you go through a hurricane, my wife just came back last night from working a week in Houston, this church that organizes people to go through and clean out mold from from houses that were flooded in a hurricane and replace the drywall. Mm-hmm. And the, the government pulled up months ago. The church is still there, so the community, and then the whole society. And I said, <laughs> I remember the first time I went to Sweden, I thought, man, this is one great country. Very little poverty. People are honest, charitable. They're right at the top on... Environmental issues—all the issues I think are important—and mm-hmm. and they're, you know, they're just transparent. It's a good, not a lot of corruption. Good place. I happened to be reading a book about the history of Europe, and it said that for 250 years, most prayers in Europe ended with this line: "Lord, save us from the Vikings." Amen. <laughs> and I thought, you know, what happened to change this? Tribe of warring, raping, pillaging Vikings into modern day Sweden, well, the gospel happened, Christianity happened, and not that many people in Sweden even believe in God, yeah, 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 very few people go to church, but the the fruits of it spread through you know the honesty, charity, care, those kind of things spread through the whole culture so i I just look at the effects of Christianity, and you can go on transparency international gender equality democracy environment all of those websites and and look at the countries ranked at the top i guarantee you 19 out of 20 of them will be christian heritage countries wow. occasionally a uh, singapore or japan will will go in there but that's it the rest of them those are the fruits of the gospel and i you know i just look at that and say it's not all about whether you have that fuzzy experience that that i had and other people I have a lot of people don't have it but somehow or other, the world works better. Life works better uh, if, if, if indeed the gospel is true.
0: Chatting with Philip Yancey, and very much appreciate his time. Of course, Philip Yancey is an award-winning author, and a lot more. Uh, Philip, Yancey. well, his bio is so long. I don't want to read his old stinking bio here. PhilipYancey.com. Okay, uh, Philip, we're gonna in just a minute. We're gonna say goodbye to you. and We're gonna uh, do something. That I very. I rarely do i stopped taking calls a long time ago because it just got weird and i just i i don't know i, I didn't like it so we're going to open up the phone lines and we're going to ask our listeners uh what advice this is the last time we're doing the crawling back to the light thing what advice do you have for me as i crawl back to the light and so let me just ask you. Sorry, let me, our listeners again, the phone number is 877 569 1250. 877 569 1250. That's toll free across Canada and the United States of America. 877 569 1250. That's 877 Joy 1250. They'll be open soon, those phone lines. Makes me nervous actually getting advice from normal people. Um,
1: but I, I applaud your. Your title, "Crawling Back Toward the Light." You know that's the best any of us can do. You—you you probably saw the book that they published after Mother Teresa's death, her her private not yeah. want anybody to read. You know, yeah. and uh, she was crawling for years and years and years, even though she thought she had found the light. Uh, it's it, God is a spirit; we're we're people of flesh, and you try to put those two together. Yes, there are going to be problems. Thank you. <laughs>
0: That was succinctly put, really sharp, actually. That's a nugget I will take away from this conversation. I want to know from Philip Yancey, though, what should I not do? I would say you should not uh, expect
1: God always to work in the way that we want God to work. Uh, That's certainly a lesson I get from the Bible. It's full of surprises all the way through. And if, if I assume that what is real is is the world of matter, and I want God to constantly be intervening in that world of matter, number one, I'm going to be disappointed. Number two, if if, if I do get God to work that way, it it's usually a mess. Mm. The lesson I take from the Bible is, when we think God should work this way, when God does, it, it messes things up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you go back to the Old Testament, and they pray for miracles, and then a miracle would come, and everything's worse than before. And it didn't really help them
0: believe. <laughs> well, oh, hold on. It's also very similar to people who win the lottery. The statistics out there of how lives have tanked after they've won the lottery, that's the correlation for me. Yeah,
1: that's good. So, I, uh, you know, I say, okay, God is a spirit, and I, I can't really expect him to, I mean, other than Jesus. We could talk about that, the incarnation. But in an ongoing relationship, I can't expect God to act like my best friend, where I sit down at Starbucks and have a cup of coffee, or Tim Hortons in your case, but <laughs> <laughs> wood, wood. but um, so I've got to learn how do how do I relate to someone who is spirit, and that's where the, I, I look on people like the Richard Wars and the Thomas Burton and Henry Nowins who say, well, there are spiritual disciplines. Here's what you need to know to do. Um, Richard Rohr says pe- people ask him how long should I pray. And he says you pray until you've until you hit the foundational yes. <laughs> well, I understand what he's saying actually because the rest of my life is just one big list of to-do things. And so I try to start the day by saying, "Okay, God, it's just me and you. Let's just sit here for a few minutes. Flush out all this stuff that I think is so important because it's really not that important. What's most important?" Is that whatever happens today, whoever I talk to on the telephone, whoever I run into in the grocery store, that I don't just dismiss them, but I, I look for you in them. And it's it's a quest to find the spirit behind kind of hidden behind the matter. And and that's that's what I do with God. I don't I don't expect God to come down to to my level, although, you know, we we do believe that for a period of time as a Christian, I believe He did in Jesus. It's it's Holy Saturday. Mm-hmm. Actually I think that's very appropriate, Drew, because you know, Friday it looked like it was all over. <laughs> Sunday it looked like it was uh, there was a good ending after all. But that yeah. Saturday, people were just baffled and confused and I mean they they had lived with Jesus, they saw him do miracles, but when then we got killed, it's like you can't believe that stuff anymore and they were just wandering around in a daze. And and then there was, you know, it's Friday but Sunday's coming, the Tony Campbell yeah, sermon. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we live most of our lives on Holy Saturday. On Saturday.
0: With, really with well said. With some evidence
1: looking back, and a lot of hope looking forward, but
0: but it's still Saturday. We're not sure. Sure. Well, Saturday is the apex of spiritual ambiguity. That's a good way to put it. The apex of spiritual ambiguity.
1: Yeah. And the funny thing is, Drew, you know, we tend to think, okay, Easter happened, and then the disciples start running around preaching. No, they didn't. They they gave up their careers. I think six or seven of them were up in Galilee fishing again. And then there's that scene where Jesus meets them, you know, cooking breakfast for them by the by the lake. There, Mm. this is weeks after the Easter. They weren't. It really wasn't until Pentecost that they came back. That was like 50 days later. (laughs) So the fact that you have a transforming experience doesn't mean okay, I'm set for life now. You know, we're going to go through that order disorder.
0: Throughout life. Ah, well. So let it be written, so let it be done. That's the end of the crawling backs. That was the Yule Brenner line from uh, Moses, uh, Ten Commandments. Oh, okay. Why are you just, looking at me like that?
1: Because I, I don't remember that. You're like part. a
0: pop culture guru. Yeah. So we, let it be written, so let it be done. No, nothing. No. Okay. Philip Yancey on the phone with us. <laughs> um, Philip, you've been on the show a couple times. The way you uh, use words helps to normalize a tribe that I've been part of that I don't think is normal. And and you've done that for many. And I know people thank you all the time, and, oh, Philip Yancey, you're awesome, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> whatever they say. But dude, your words have softened the edges around a sometimes very bizarre tribe of people.
1: Yeah. But if you're a writer, you're always looking for material, and the more bizarre the better, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you, I said this to Kathy Lee Gifford earlier in the show. You know, she's friends with, with Trump. She's friends with Harvey Weinstein. She's friends with the Kardashians, and she refuses to throw them under the bus. She just reeks of grace. Hmm. And, and you are in that same boat, sir. You have, you know, that stench is way out ahead of you. People can smell your grace a mile away.
1: Unless you start talking about Harvey Weinstein, Trump, and Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I know. But man, anyway. Um, okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate that very much, Drew. And uh, that I think grace is a gift, right? Yeah. It, it, and it's a gift that I didn't deserve. I told you I wasn't looking for it, yeah. but I did get it and realize that I, I need to express that same grace toward other people.
0: Well, I'm glad you did. And I'm glad you wrote about it. And I hope you made lots of money doing it. Philip <laughs> Philip dot com. Uh PhilipYancey.com. What a great way to finish our crawling back to the light segment over the last few months on Easter Saturday. Thank you. Happy Easter, Philip.
1: Thank you. And you mentioned the website it's uh yesterday was Good Friday and I posted this amazing story about hidden Christians in Japan. And if somebody is wavering and they want to know what can I hang on, is this is this whole thing worth pursuing? Why don't you go to that website? Uh, we're not alone. People have been through this before, and some people have stuck it out and uh,
0: come through on the other side. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. I'm intrigued because I saw that movie uh, Silence. I think is what it was. Exactly. called. Exactly, that's the story. Right. Okay. All right. Beautiful. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Philip. My pleasure. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye. Philip Yancey on the Drew Marshall Show.